The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Well, greetings, pet lovers. I'm coming to you directly from the EpiPet Studios on the Gulf Coast of Florida, the Sunshine State. Well, did you hear the news? Well, according to the American Kennel Club's 2022 registration stats, for the first time in 31 years, yes, I said it, 31 years, the Labrador Retriever has been unseated as the most popular dog breed in the U.S. of A. In its place, the smushy-faced French Bulldog is now numero uno. Now, if you want to learn more about French Bulldogs, check out our February 4th show. You can listen to that show on Google Play. You can listen to that show on Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, as well as SoundCloud. You know, why is that breed so popular? Okay, now this has nothing to do with Reese Witherspoon and Snoop Doggy Dog owning one. But French Bulldogs are smaller sized dogs, aren't typical big barkers, don't need as much exercise as large dogs, and can be groomed at home, making them a good fit for those living in apartments or smaller homes. However, and this is a big however, in response to the trend, the breed can come with a hefty price tag. Other than their cost, which is starting from about three to five K and can be as much as 10 grand, that's a lot of benjamins let me tell you and now this is really big really big they're prone to a multitude of health problems due to unscrupulous breeders trying to cash in in their rise in popularity without tending to their overall needs that's their health needs due to their flat faces and you all know that i have brachyphacillic dogs or snub-nosed dogs they can have respiratory problems due to their narrow nostrils and smaller airways they can have and the list goes on and the money goes up. Allergies, cardiovascular issues, cataracts, cherry eye, cleft palate, colitis, chronic diarrhea. I'm getting tired, but I still gotta go on. We got deafness, conjunctivitis, ear infections, gastroenteritis, heat sensitivity, hip dysplasia, hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism, luxating patellas, and spinal disorders. I'm beat. Now, to me, that sounds like more money, more money, more problems. So if you want to learn more about the French Bulldogs, like I said, check out our February 4th show. You can check it out on Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And you need to know, we got, you can learn just about the bull, French Bulldog in general. We got a doc from the UK talking about French Bulldog extreme breeding. That's when you get into the hairless, as well as the hairy French Bulldogs and the whacked colors that the AKC doesn't uh, register. We also have a doc from LA, La La Land, talking about the French Bulldog health problems. And we also got the fact that you might even need to hire a security guard for your French Bulldog with a security expert. Well, my advice to you is if you really want a French Bulldog, learn more about the breed before taking the plunge by visiting the American Kennel Club at akc.org and the French Bulldog Club of America at frenchbulldogclub.org. Good luck, but please do your research. 
Well, it's been a big week for me. I just finished up a Dogster article on petflation where I discussed the contributing factors of petflation and how to combat what is plaguing American dog owners, the rising cost of pet products. And now I'm working on a feline inflation piece for Catster. I'll let you know when they come out, but I want you to know I just got back from a big pet industry show in Orlando, and next week I'm going to tell you about some of the new fabulous pet products that I saw. But now let's get on with the big show. Well, this week on the Pet Buzz, we're talking about how a badly burnt dog becomes a therapy dog for burnt victims sleeping with dogs and maybe it's not so great for your sleep and how PETA bought stock in Anheuser-Busch in Bevy to stop the Bud Beer brand for severing the tails of the Clydesdale horses, a cat sense of smell, how to save money on pet food, and March 28th is Respect Your Cat Day. Everyone, including kittens and cats, wants to be treated with R-E-S-P-E-C-T, snaps to Aretha. The dictionary defines respect as feeling admiration for someone and acknowledging their desires and viewpoints by putting yourself in their shoes, or in this case, their paws. Respect involves observing, listening, and recognizing another needs and boundaries. March 28th is Respect Your Cat Day. Everyone, including kittens and cats, wants to be treated with respect. The dictionary defines respect as feeling admiration for someone and acknowledging their desires and viewpoints by putting yourself in their shoes, or in this case, their paws. Respect involves observing, listening, and recognizing another's needs and boundaries. While joining us today to discuss respecting your cat is Dream Team member Beth Edelman. She's a certified feline behaviorist. Beth, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks again for having me. Well, when we heard about this feline holiday, we knew, we thought you would be the perfect person to talk about how we best respect our fabulous felines. Yeah, I'm so excited that that um, definition you read included respecting boundaries. That's so important, you know, with all of our pets. I think it's a really important thing to talk about. Cool. Well, let's start out with, I guess, a first level is how do you get your new cat or your cat to trust you? A lot of people are fostering cats. We've seen abundance of that going on these days. And we know a lot of people are continuing to get to get pets, not only because, you know, we have pandemic numbers like this, but they're beginning to see the benefit of the loneliness and the health to have an animal, specifically a cat. And that's why respecting boundaries is so important. That's, that's where it comes in. The way you get a cat to trust you is to show them that you're not going to mess with them when they don't want to be messed with. So that means when they don't want to be touched, not touching them. When they walk away, like under the bed, into the closet, into another room, you don't follow them and keep touching them. When, when you're petting them and they go, ah, you stop. So it's about making them see that when they don't want to be messed with, they're not going to be messed with. That's the way you get a cat to trust them. Okay. So physical contact is really important, yeah. allowing them to hide, uh, avoiding touching. What about touching their belly? I know, for, for example, my cat, he, his time with me was around 11 o'clock. He'd jump in bed. He'd knead. And then we'd play a little bit, you know, more like touching play. Um, he liked to be touched then. And sometimes he'd roll back on his, on his back and expose his belly. And I found it was not in my best interest to touch his belly. Although he liked to be exposed like that, 
I just said, okay, once I tried it and he went to go bite and scratch me, so which I was shocked. So I just didn't touch it. And that's great. You know, so, you know, he's, he told you, don't touch me there. And you said, okay, I won't touch you there. So that's perfect. That's so perfect. That's about respecting boundaries. So here's the thing about cats. They do show you their belly and it's a sign that says, I'm so relaxed that I'm going to, you know, make myself vulnerable. And it's an invitation to cuddle and to play, but it's not an invitation to touch their tummy. So it's, it's kind of confusing for us to read that signal if we don't know cats really well. But here's the bottom line. Cats have a, um, an instinct that when you touch their tummy, they grab your arm and kick and bite. And it's a protective instinct because they're so vulnerable there. So there are, I mean, there's always a couple of cats who like tummy rubs, but most of them, that instinct kicks in and they grab and bite and it's an instinct and they can't help it. So when your cat shows the tummy, pet them under the chin. Well, if you've just joined us here on the Peppas, we're speaking with certified feline behaviorist Beth Edelman about respecting your cat since the pet holiday is coming up on March 28th. So one of the things that I've always noticed is, especially when kids are around, it's really important if you have children and pets, you really have to show them and talk to them about how to handle cats. So what's the best way to handle our feline friends? And as I said, talk about why this is important to teach this to our children. Well, one of the things I always tell kids is, you know, in the world, you kids, you're used to being the small people. You're, you're the little people and all the adults are huge. But to your cat, you're already a giant. Your cat's a little teeny animal and you're a giant and giants can be pretty scary. I always tell kids that and you don't want cats and kids where the cats are always running away from the kids because they're afraid of them. So it's important with really little kids, like, you know, less than the age of four, I think, because they don't always have motor control and they end up thumping the cat, not because they mean to thump the cat, but because they don't have good motor control to make sure that you actually even touch the kid's hand when they're petting the cat to make sure that they're gentle. Um, as kids get a little older and they have more physical control of their bodies, they can do that themselves. And if you keep reminding them the cat's a little animal and is easily hurt, they can be very gentle. But it's important for kids to also understand that they should let the cat first say, yes, I want to be petted. So that means sticking out their finger, right? Sticking out their finger, letting the cat come to them and touch their finger with their nose or rub their head on it or whatever. So sticking out your finger is a way to ask permission for the cat. May I touch you? And if the cat approaches and pushes into your finger, yes, then we can pet. And if the cat backs away, then no, we can't. So that's the rule with kids is ask first, ask permission. It's not, it's asking permission, but it's also reading body language, which I think is very, very key. And a lot of times when we think of reading body language, we don't think of it so much for cats. We think of it more as for dogs, but I think it's based on what you're saying. It's just as important to understand the body languages and also be able to read the nuances. Like you said, if he walks towards you and really pushes into that finger, then it's okay to pet him. Yeah. We're moving into commercial break and we'll be back with author and behaviorist Beth Edelman. Also up next, Celebrity Pet Buzz and our new feature, 
Pet Money Matters. You are listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz. The show is hosted by the dynamic pet duo. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Well, we're back continuing our chat about how to best respect hats with certified feline behaviorist Beth Edelman. You guys know she's one of our dream team members. You know, Beth, part of respecting your cat is knowing how to understand a cat's body language. And I think we've kind of talked about that. Knowing what basic body movements mean can improve your relationship with them. So, Beth, why is maintaining a clean litter box one way we show our cats respect? Wow, does anybody want a dirty bathroom? So in the wild, cats would naturally keep their area clean. They would wander far away from where they hang out, where they eat, where they sleep, where they play to eliminate. But we don't give them a choice to do that. We only give them the litter box. And if we don't keep it clean, we're asking them to do something that they find disgusting which is eliminate in a dirty litter box. We're asking them to do something they find disgusting. That's just not fair and it's not very respectful. We keep the litter box clean so that they can do natural behaviors. It goes back to what we talked about before so that they can perform the natural behavior of eliminating in a clean, soft spot where they can bury their stuff and make it go away because they don't want to see it any more than we do. You know, Beth, Part of respecting your cat, and we've talked about this a little bit, is knowing how to understand your cat's body language. Knowing what basic body movements mean can improve our relationship with them. Talk to us, give us a few pieces of advice and a few examples. Well, body language, so the first thing you can look at is is how tall or low is your cat. When your cat's sitting up high, they're alert and they're interested. The lower they crouch, the more they're wary scared, anxious. So, you know, that thing that we call a cat loaf where they're kind of all turned in like this and their head is down, they're not relaxed. They're actually just trying to make themselves really small and disappear. So the more hunched in and crunched in they are, the less relaxed they are. A cat who's super relaxed, we talked about this before, they'll they'll show you their tummy, they'll hang out, they'll stretch out. So if they're up, they're alert. If they're relaxed, they're stretched out. When they're crunched in, they're anxious and scared. They put their head down. They might tuck their chin, and that's to protect their neck. They're afraid they might get attacked. When their tail is up, it means, hey, let's visit. When their tail is down, they're anxious. So you can also look at the tail. You can look at the pupils. Okay, so when the pupils dilate, but it's not super dark out because the pupils do get big when it's dark, but when they dilate in ordinary light, that's a sign of anxiety also. So you'll often see when your cat is at the vet, that their pupils are very dilated, even though there's plenty of light in the room. So that's a sign of anxiety. Another one is the ears. I will do a demonstration. Straight up, nice and alert. The more down and to the side they go, the more anxious the cat is. So you want up ears, not down ears. Okay. And they sometimes do that little airplane thing like that. That's all just, it's signs of anxiety. And the last one you can look at, which is kind of cool, people don't often notice it, is the whiskers. So when the cats relax, the whiskers are just straight to the side. 
when they rotate them forward, that's actually excitement. It's not anxiety, it's excitement. And so when you're playing with your cat, here's something cool to do. When you're playing with your cat, watch how their whiskers come forward. So they're trying to get a better sense of where the toy is in space. And that's a sign of excitement. Wow, very, very interesting. I guess my last question has to do with how we best protect our cats and keep them safe. Talk a little bit about those kind of things. Yeah, so one thing that we often don't think of is that cats live in smell world. We smell stuff, but not the way cats do. Cats have an amazing sense of smell. And so when you clean your house with bleach and Lysol and ammonia and things like that, your cat is in hell. <laughs> it's the worst possible thing. They live in smell world and big smells really, really bother them. They can cause cats to eliminate inappropriately. They'll find a spot that's been cleaned with ammonia and it smells so bad to them that they'll pee on it just to get rid of that awful odor of the ammonia. So really think about the things you're cleaning with. Are you doing a lot of potpourri? Are you spraying a lot of air fresheners? These things actually really upset cats. It's really hell for them when the house has lots of very big smells. Loud noises is another one, and we can't always control that. I live in New York City, you know, that's a noisy place. But there are things you can do in terms of how loud you play your music, you know, things like that. Certainly not putting your cat's litter box next to something that could be really loud, like the freezer or the washing machine that sometimes kicks in and make big noises. You know, cats kind of like it quiet. They actually have better hearing than dogs. And so loud noises are really loud for them. You know, we can also keep them safe by um, keeping them indoors or when we let them outdoors, letting them outdoors in a very safe way. And you and I have talked about this a lot, about fenced in or on a leash and harness, that kind of thing. And also, you know, threatening them, hitting them, spraying water on them. These are all, you know, these big are scary no things. Big no-nos. We're giants. I'm going to say it again. We're giants. You know, cats are living in the land of giants. And when the giant picks up the water hose, you know, and sprays it at them, it's terrifying. There's lots of ways that you can teach your cat new skills and communicate with them without threatening them. Yeah. And I would think that um, scruffing them too. Scruffing is the most terrifying. So let me tell you what happens. Because everybody's seen those pictures of mommies carrying their kittens around by the scruff and think, oh, that's a mommy thing. And the truth is it's not. First of all, mothers only do that to move their kittens from place to place, which happens very seldom. But the other thing is that that behavior stops immediately when they're weaned. Adults, when adult cats are picked up by the scruff, it's by a predator. It's because a coyote picked them up by a scruff. It's because a, a big dog or a wolf picked them up by the scruff. When you scruff them, they think they're going to die. It's terrifying. Such great information, Beth. I'm always happy for you to come, for you to talk about cats. Um, and that's why you're one of our favorite Dream Team members. I love uh, being here. Thanks. Um, but before you leave, can you give us your website so we know where to catch up with you? I'm at bethedelman.wixsite.com backslash cat behavior. Hey, just to remind you, that was Beth Edelman, Certified Feline Behaviors, discussing ways to respect your fabulous feline. Up next, Celebrity Pet Buzz, the latest on celebrities and pets. And now, the latest news about celebrities and their pets. It's obsession. Aren't they cute? What's the name? What's the name? Well, I have to admit, I'm a fan. I really like 
actress Katie Mara. And if you don't recognize the name, she's a young actress. She's got red hair. She's appeared in Brokeback Mountain, uh, We Are Marshall, Shooter, Trans-Siberian, and Fantastic Four. And her television work includes House of Cards. She's the sister to Mara Rooney and a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers Rooney family. So recently, the actress partnered with the Animal Legal Defense Fund to help 10 dogs with canine cellmates after the Georgia nonprofit was left without headquarters. So here's the story. The nonprofit pulled these 10 dogs from an overcrowded Fulton County Animal Service open intake shelter in Georgia, saving the pets from possible euthanasia. Well, after leaving the Georgia shelter, the 10 dogs entered the canine cellmates beyond the bars program, a program that operates outside of the Fulton County jail, pairing rescue dogs with individuals charged with felonies and released from custody contingent upon their participation in the program. Unfortunately, the lease on the canine cellmates headquarters recently ended and the owner of the building decided to sell the property, leaving the nonprofit without a facility and its 10 recent dog graduates without a home. Canine Cellmates has foster homes for the animals, but is looking to find forever families for the dogs while the nonprofit searches for a new headquarters, which will double as a new training center. Mara got involved after learning more about Canine Cellmates and the Animal Legal Defense Fund while she was working in Georgia. And after learning about Canine Cellmates' search for dog adopters, she agreed to pay the adoption freeze for all 10 pups. All I got to say is thank you, Katie Mara. We hope more folks, whether celebrities or not, will get involved by bringing awareness to pet issues, donating, and spend their time helping animals. Up next, I bet you can't wait for my I Like You of the Week. It's all about the bees. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz the best in pet talk radio where we focus on enhancing the bond between pets and their people. I'm pet Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Let's kick off this segment with the I Like of the Week. It's genius. It's to die for. I like it. Well, as you know, the image for the show is the bee. And I'm all into the bee. So I sport the bee every time I get a chance to. I have a tasteful collection of bee jewelry, clothing, even bee shoes and sneakers. But thanks to my friend Annie, I have some beautiful leather coach bee purses and accessories. So last year, Annie sent me a link for this particular coach collection of bags, wallets, keychains, and they're in brown leather and the bags are covered with bees. I bought quite a few uh, pieces from that collection and I always get compliments. I mean, I'm talking every single day, at least three times a day. So I was so excited when two weeks ago, she sent me the link for the summer collection 
with its white background once again adorned with bees. The collection also has a few pieces of jewelry. So you know I couldn't resist. Not only did I buy the bag, the wallet, the keychain, the change purse, I bought a necklace and some earrings. I'm wearing them right now. Check out the bee collection in white adorned with bees on Coach online at thecoachoutlet.com. Prices start about $23.99 and they go up to $214. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to love it. Pet Money Matters with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. Hey, remember Linda Richmond from SNL when she used to say, let's talk. Let's talk today about pet food, darlings. You're talking with the queen of the pet buzz, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. If you're all set on a pet food brand that works for your dog's nutritional needs and your budget, find that brand from an online retailer and compare it to your local pet store. And I bet you the price will be a little better or at least the same at the online store. Plus, you get the pet food delivered straight to your door, which adds the bonus of saving additional time as well as saving some money. And if you take the subscription, in many cases, you can reap additional savings about up to 5%. Okay, also consider buying dry food in bulk. The key to buying in bulk is a good storing solution. You need to keep the dog food in a dry area that little critters don't have access to. It's not just about your dog's need to keep out. It's about mice and ants and other small scavengers, depending on your area. So the garage might not be a suitable place for bulk food. Consider storing it in a container, but do not, I repeat, do not throw out the pet food bag. I've said it a million times. The bag was created to keep the food as fresh as possible, but it also contains important information like the bat and lotch number that you're gonna need if there's a pet food recall or your bag is contaminated. You will need that information. So always keep the food, the pet food in the stored bag in your container. Okay, so let's talk about looking for coupons. So while many stores no longer have brand reps visiting the storms to perform demos and to give coupons, go online and find your brand. Most brands do offer coupons. You can even call the brand's customer service number and have those telephone reps send you coupons. Now do the same for prescription food. Now this is where you need to save the moolah prescription Food cost a lot of bucks. Ka-ching! Hey, Dan, did we get mail today? You got mail. Lana writes from Oklahoma, I just adopted a cat from a local shelter, and I read that cats don't like certain smells. Can you review them with me, Charlotte? Well, sure, Lana, and congratulations for saving a pet life. Cats have a very powerful sense of smell. In fact, it's estimated that their sense of smell is 35 times stronger than ours. They also have a layer of tissue in their nose that is specifically adopted 
for trapping scent molecules. This heightened sense of smell is because cats have more scent receptors in their nose than we do. While humans have 6 million scent receptors in their nasal passage compared to cats with 200 million. So there's a huge difference right there. Okay, so this allows cats to pick up even the slightest of smells. So for example, a cat can even smell something, Lana, that is diluted in water. And they really, cats really heavily rely on their sense of smell, not only to communicate, but also to navigate the world. Their sense of smell is also to communicate with other cats, find food, and navigate their surroundings. So a strong odor can be overwhelming for cats and really cause discomfort. So here's a list to consider. So cats generally don't like citrus. So lemons, limes, orange, and grapefruits. That's even in furniture polish or other kind of air fresheners that you have around the house. And unlike Dr. Flack, cats typically don't like the smell of coffee. Many cats don't like bananas because of their distinct smell. Scientists believe that might have something to do with the potassium in bananas. Okay, here's another one. Cats don't like scents that are too strong. They don't like scents that are like hot peppers and cinnamon, both really super spicy. You can forget lavender, rosemary, rue, thyme, mint, and wintergreen. They may smell good to you, but not necessarily smell good to your cat. You also want to avoid essential oils, which can be toxic for cats, and vinegar because that smell is really way too pungent. And cats don't like strong artificial scents either. They're also not big fans of scented litters, heavy soaps, detergent, body sprays, or perfumes. So don't be offended if your cat wants to stay away from you when you're wearing perfume. And most importantly, they hate a dirty litter box. So just like you don't enjoy the smell of a dirty litter box, your cat doesn't either. As a result, they might find another place to go. So that's why you want to keep that litter box clean and smelling fresh up to their standards. Well, lots to remember here, Lana. Good luck with your new kitty. And if you need some more help, tweet or post us on our social media channels at the Pet Buzz or write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. And now let's bring on our next guest. Well, last week I read on Facebook that PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, purchased stock in Anheuser-Busch in Bev to take their case for ending the cruel practices by the king of beers of severing the tailbones of the world famous Budweiser Clydesdales. Now we've just have seen them in the Super Bowl and you know we've always known them to create these very heartwarming Super Bowl commercials. So I was surprised to learn that they're engaged in this practice. Yeah, very interesting. So joining us today is PETA horse racing coordinator Emily Rohr to talk about this bold corporate move. Hello, Emily, and welcome to the Pet Buzz today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Can you tell us how much stock PETA bought in Anheuser-Busch? Yes. Um, You know, creating change from within is um, a very important move (laughs) for companies, and that's exactly why PETA purchased stock in Uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev, which is Budweiser's parent company. And to answer your question, PETA just purchased the minimum amount of stock required to be able to attend those shareholder meetings and raise the important questions and ask why Budweiser has yet to commit to ending the cruel and painful practice of amputating their Clydesdale's tailbones. 
So let's take it a little step further and talk about the corporate big picture. So what does PETA hope to achieve by this action? Well, PETA sometimes purchases or accepts donations of a small amount of stock in a company, again, to, to gain access into those shareholder meetings where we can submit resolutions or ask the hard-hitting questions. Our stock acquisitions are never kept secret. We tell our supporters and, of course, the public as well. And we hope that that's hard for companies to ignore. Um, this isn't the first time we've uh, use this tactic. Our first shareholder resolution was actually in 1987, where we targeted cosmetic and household um, product manufacturers who tested on animals. And we've evolved since then. And with the help of our members and supporters, we've been able to submit dozens of resolutions across a wide range of animal rights issues. And that open up conversations with companies and created positive change for animals. And we're hoping to replicate that success by having uh, pressuring Budweiser to end the permanent disfigurement of their horses. No, so 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 it's funny because I talked to a few people about this and they were so surprised that PETA was doing this. And I said, what are you so surprised from? This is a typical move that people of interest make all the time. It's just that it's an animal organization doing it. We're going to take a commercial break and return with Emily Rohr with this fascinating discussion of PETA buying stock in Anheuser-Busch and Bev. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, epi-pet.com. EpiPet is another proud sponsor of the Pet Buzz. I'm petrodologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck here at the Pet Buzz. We are urban, suburban, and, and country. country. Hey, we're back having a fascinating discussion with PETA's Emily Rohr about the Clydesdale horses. So why, why would Anheuser-Busch and Bev sever the tailbones of Budweiser Clydesdales? When and how do they do this? Well, that's a great question. When PETA spoke with Budweiser representatives, some claimed that this was done for sanitation reasons, so for like um, foaling or breeding seasons, and some said that this was done for safety reasons so that the tails didn't get tangled in the hitch equipment. But really, this practice originated from human laziness at a time when people maybe didn't consider the long-term effects that this would have on horses, and it was just easier for them to cut the tails of the horses off rather than braiding them up or even using the correct equipment so that the tails didn't get tangled in the hitch. But the Budweiser hitch team, when the Clydesdales are still foals, a portion of the tailbone is amputated. And that's either done with a scalpel or more commonly a tight band is put around the bone of the tail. And that leads to the tail slowly and painfully dying off. Tell us, how do the employees respond in some of these videos? 
Sure. One handler told PETA that the tails were not docked and the, the tails were, this horses still had their full tails. But at the same parade on the same day, a different handler told PETA that the tails were docked. So given this conflicting answers, we wrote to key players at Budweiser and Anheuser-Busch InBev and explained the lasting impact that this has on applied stills. Um, we still haven't received a response and the company is still not committed to ending this horrific practice. So Emily, how does severing the tailbones of these horses affect them? And is there other alternatives to achieve, I guess, both of your goals? I mean, I know you had mentioned braiding. That's the first thing I would think of. I was just going to mention that. Yes. Well, Clydesdales, like I'm sure you know, all horses use their tails as a first line of defense against disease spreading and biting insects. But the tails also are important for the horse's communication. They use them to show their physical and emotional states. And also for mobility, the horses depend on their tails, especially when they're running at fast speeds and turning, they rely on their tail for balance. And as you said, this can easily, any concerns over sanitation or safety can easily be remedied by braiding the tails. You know, I used to have horses as well, and we would wrap them if they were going to be traveling. So that's another option. And these are things that Clydesdale and draft horse owners are already doing. I'm thinking, I mean, I can understand if it's a windy day and I can understand the the hair getting caught in the hitch. But I mean, there's a huge distance between the horse and the carriage. Well, so I, I have don't... to admit, until we had this discussion today, I wasn't aware you that that to... was going on with the Clydesdales. As you said, with our experiences with, with show horses, I remember my daughter used to get up at four o'clock in the morning, start braiding her, her horse's tail for the show. I think it's attractive. So what other animal or health organizations oppose this practice? Well, again, the Budweiser Clydesdale's tails are amputated primarily just so that they'll look a certain way while they're pulling the wagon. Uh, one equine veterinarian referred to this procedure as surgical abuse. And it's so cruel that it's banned in 10 states in America and in several countries unless medically necessary. It's rarely medically necessary, I should add. And the American Veterinarian um, Association. Is it the AVMA? Yes. And also the American Association of Equine Practitioners. Um, they both condemn the practice as well. Thank you, Emily, for joining us today. Can you please give us the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals website so we can learn more about this situation? And watch those videos. Absolutely. Anyone who's looking to learn more can visit PETA.org slash tailgate. We can, you know, learn, see the full investigation video and join the more than 50,000 people who've already taken action to ask Budweiser to end this horrific mutilation. Well, everyone, that was Emily Rohr, the PETA horse racing coordinator, discussing why the people for ethical treatment of animals bought stock in Anheuser-Busch and Bev. While some see this as a bold move, as far as I'm concerned, this is a common practice. Nonprofits and corporations or for-profit corporations buy stock in many corporations around the world. Some cases for profit, other cases have to do with achieving or pushing their interest. And I think this is a good policy, a good reason to get behind. I think what's really interesting is the fact that it's PETA and that, you know, people always see them as taking their fights on the street, but this is just taking the fight from the street to the boardroom. Modernizing their approach. Yeah. And I mean, like, um, like Emily said, they've been doing this. Um, I think she said since the early nineties, I believe. 
hmm. buying uh, interest in corporations and and you know being able to go to these investor these shareholder meetings and just talking about their policy and and i think you know it's like anything else it opens people's minds up absolutely and realistically absolutely. i mean we know so many people they're more pets in this country and i include horses in that than kids so imagine how many people sitting at these meetings have horses and pets and they love them so they can relate to these issues this is not like you know 100 years ago so i think that's it's fantastic now let's find out what's happening around the world in global pet news and now pet buzz news from around the globe If you didn't know, March is National Sleep Awareness Month and March 18th was World Sleep Day where the theme for this day was sleep is essential for health. Just like eating well and exercising, sleep is a behavior that is fundamental. It's foundational to one's physical, mental, and social well-being. However, sleep is not yet commonly considered an essential behavior for good health. Now, I want to talk about sharing a bed with pets. So allowing a pet in bed at night may cause disturbed sleep in some people. It definitely does with me and I sleep with dogs and cats. In one study, 20% of people labeled their pets as disruptive when sleeping in the same room with them. So just sleeping in the same room caused a lot of disruptions. Okay, so people also lack awareness when it comes to pets impact on their sleep. And I, and I agree with that 100%. When a dog moves in the bed, the human sharing the bed is three times, get this, three times as likely to move as well, even though they may not notice it. That could be the case for me. So humans are also over four times as likely to be awake while a dog they share a bed with is active. That's definitely true for me. I will wake up if Wally or Hammy or even Churchill move. It's very rare that I share a bed with Morrow because he snores. Okay, so the sleep quality ramifications of sharing a bed with your dog are likely relatively mild. Okay, so really not much is going to happen. However, if you'd like to minimize sleep disturbances, researchers have found that having a dog sleep elsewhere in the bedroom doesn't impact your sleep to the same extent. So in other words, get a pet bed, put the pet bed near your bed and have your pet sleep in that pet bed. Most of you aren't going to like that. Anyway, sleep disturbances when sharing a bed may depend on the type of pet. Now, I can see that to a little to an extent. In one study, women who shared a bed with a dog reported less disturbed sleep than those who shared a bed with a cat. Another study found that there's a connection between having a cat as a pet and not obtaining the recommended seven hours of sleep per night. However, you know what I'm going to say, more research is needed to talk about cats and disruption of sleep. Since animals' sleep patterns are different, remember dogs sleep 18 hours a day while you are working and you're up, they also differ from human sleep patterns. I mean, that's pretty obvious. It makes sense that sleeping with a companion animal could cause discomfort or discord at times. So if you feel sharing a bed with your pet disrupts your sleep, consider, like I said, designating a sleep spot for them near your bed or outside of your bedroom. You may love your pet, but let me know if he's causing sleep disturbances to your nightly daily slumber. We want to know what's going on in that bedroom of yours. Well, time to end the show on a good note. And that's like, your attention, please. 
News of the day got you down? No worries. Pet trendologist Charlotte Reed is here with Tell Me Something Good. This is a necessity like air and oxygen. Tell me something good. Well, a Shiva Inu that was badly burned in a Georgia house fire is now training to be a therapy dog at a local burn center. Veterinarian Dr. Crystal Leslie was the veterinarian taking care of the dog named Taka and ended up adopting him. When she first took Taka in, he was consistently an instigator of fights with other dogs, and she worried she would have to give him up. But then someone suggested she really get him on a training plan and get him trained. So she wondered if at nine years old, he was too old to be trained, but it turned out to be such a positive, just requiring a little extra patience and time. Well, Turns out Taka took to training and now he is a working dog showing burn victims that they can overcome their physical ailments. Taka and the patients that he works with benefit from each other. Now that's something good. Hey, did you hear the bells? Well, it's a wrap. Before we go, we want to give you a preview of next week's show. Next week, we're talking about reading pet food labels as well as the products that I find, the new pet products that I find at Global Pet Expo in Orlando. And I want to give special thanks to our guests, Beth Edelman and Emily Rohr. And of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin-coated ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. And if you have a question, write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We'll cover it on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channel and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. Most importantly, remember we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. www.thepetbuzz.com Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.